Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hi, and welcome to episode 31 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian, here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how is it going? How was your weekend? Weekend was great. It's summer. There was some beach time. It was fun in the sun. It was good. Everything's good. It was good. Was it drinks in the sun? There were a lot of drinks in the beach. A lot of drinks in the sun. I'm, I'm, I'm learning uh, trying to learn how to effectively create a drunken watermelon. Okay. Right. Which yeah. I thought was super easy. And so I tried it last year, right around 4th of July and turns mm-hmm. out it's not so easy. So oh, okay. I'm practicing in time for this 4th of July because I want to have that mastered in time. Oh, okay. Well, you're running out of time because it's, <laughs> it's coming up this weekend. So I know, I know. And uh, uh, you know, the biggest problem I think is it takes a long time for the vodka or the rum or whatever alcohol you're using it to soak in the watermelon. So mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, it's a real problem. <laughs> I got to hurry up. I got to figure this out. <laughs> you got you to figure it out. You're running out of time, but if you don't figure it out in time, you can always make a watermelon margarita like we made back for our Dirty Dancing episode, episode 27. So uh, if you are also not able to make a drunken watermelon, go back and listen to that episode and check that out because it's delicious. Yeah, that's one of the best drinks we have made for sure. I will say um, this podcast, uh, all even though we've made great connections and we've, we're bringing people closer to movies and their beverage of choice, um, it's been really inspiring for a lot of summer cocktails. Even mm. even the ones that we did like in January have been really fun in the summer. So I'm feeling yeah. a bit like uh, like Olaf from Frozen, where it's like whatever we drink in summer. <laughs> and yeah, it would, I'm finding out that everything is drinkable in the summer. Yeah, everything is more drinkable in the summer. Um, so I got up to we've we've had some guests in and out, but I did like I mentioned last week. I made a plan and I stuck to it, and I watched In the Heights. So that was really good. I watched that on HBO. I didn't head out to the theater to see that one, but I liked it a lot. I thought that the story was good. The music was good. The choreography was excellent. Um, but yeah, it was just a really fun time. So uh, check that one out. Have you watched that one yet, Michaela? I have not, but I will tell you, um, my son was in a performance camp this last week and he did Mary Poppins Returns, which I did not mm-hmm. realize also starred Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, mm-hmm. uh, I did not realize that he, he helped, I think he helped write some of the music for it and everything. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. Um, I had no idea. I sound really bad. I had no idea how talented he was. And so I am also making a plan for the long weekend to watch in the Heights because when I first previewed it previewed in, um, early 2020, I want to believe. And mm-hmm. I saw it in the theaters when it previewed. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. So I just haven't gotten around to watch it yet. But so yeah. that's the plan for this next weekend. I'm going to really solidify my drunken watermelon skill set whilst watching In the Heights. Yeah, well, that's all you need. That's all you need is a plan and a drunken watermelon and you can do it. I have faith in you. So, but you. Uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, I watched that movie and things are going pretty good, but 
you know, I think as we're into summer here, we need to go on one last adventure, you know, one more adventure before we get to junior high and our lives change forever. That's right. Well, you know, I've got about seven cents, so let's pool this money, see if Mm. we can grab some food, um, maybe go through a junkyard, almost get hit by a train. Uh, I got some cocktails for the trail. Maybe we'll get to be in the newspaper. Yeah, well, I brought Mike home, so why don't we uh, take that, and we'll uh, definitely take the cocktails, and uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be right back to talk about this week's drink. This week's cocktail takes its name from InShaker.com. It's called The Stand By Me. And it's the name of a 1961 song by Benny King and the 1986 film that we're going to cover today on Drink the Movies, Stand By Me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so the song by Benny King gets a lot of play in the movie. This cocktail doesn't, but it should because this cocktail is pretty good. So uh, The Stand By Me, it's kind of like a jazzy riff on a cosmopolitan Michaela, yeah. are, are you into Cosmos? Are, are, you a, are you a Cosmo girl? <laughs> I mean, I am into Cosmos. I like that they're pink because I love oh, pink drinks. Yeah, it's kind fair. of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm, it, um, it but I also really like that this takes, this has a lot of extra different kinds of berries in it, which is important because there's a whole scene in the movie dealing with blueberries, mm-hmm. right? And blueberry yep. pie. Um so it's kind of neat because it is, if you like a Cosmo, you will love this drink. If you like vodka, you will probably love this drink. Um, if you're into berries at all, like a <laughs> yeah. berry teeny, you will probably love this drink. Yeah, um, for, yeah. for sure. And you, you'll probably, even if you don't like those things, still like the drink because the drink was really good. So uh, <laughs> you're, yeah. you, you are going to need to uh, run down a little bit of groceries for this one. So why don't we go through the recipe here. So it's going to be um, one ounce of vodka and a third of an ounce of creme de cassis, um, which I'd never used before. It's like a, it's like a dark berry uh, liqueur. Um, Don't give me that look. So I can't believe you never, I mean, I can't believe that you've not had something that I've had. Creme de cassis is a staple in the UK. It is a black currant liqueur and it is absolutely amazing. Yeah, and it's well, easy it, to find. Apparently, you can find it here uh, in can, America. I had no fi- idea. You can find it here, and it's very inexpensive. And you're only using a third of an ounce here. So if you get a bottle, it's going to last you for like a hundred years. So uh, pick that up, and then you're going to need a third of an ounce of your simple syrup. Um, and here's where it's going to going to be a little bit of the um, kind of the grocery list. So you're going to need an ounce of cranberry juice, um, and then and then some fruit. So uh, it's. <laughs> They and the on the recipe on InShaker, they gave you weights for these things, but then they broke it down. So you need two strawberries, you need two raspberries, you need like four blueberries. Um, and what you're going to do is you're going to put those into a shaker tin, um, muddle that fruit so you get all of the juice out of it, nice and pulpy. It gets all the oil out of the skins from the fruit, and then you're going to add your vodka, creme de cassis, simple syrup, cranberry, and some ice. You're going to shake it. And then you're going to strain it into a chilled martini glass or a coupe glass. Um, And this is where you might run into some trouble because 
Uh, I just have the strainer lid in my martini shaker. I don't have like a bar strainer or a what it's called a Hawthorne strainer, which is really probably what you need here to kind of strain that fruit out before it clogs up those those little holes. But you want to you want to like double strain it through through a strainer and then through like a fine mesh strainer, because otherwise you're going to have a bunch of seeds from the strawberry and the raspberry and all that stuff. And you don't want that because that's going to make your drink not look as nice and you don't want those uh, seeds getting in your teeth. Right. Yeah, I made this drink a couple of times. I'm not ashamed to admit. And the first time I did it, I did not have one of those Hawthorne strainers. So I used one of like a teapot strainer um, Mm -hmm. and it worked okay. Um, But the second time I used a Hawthorne strainer and then I used the um, like the sieve and that worked much better. So I definitely recommend that or um, don't put it in a martini glass and put it in like a tall um, glass, you're going to get a lot more of that uh, alcohol that way, just for, uh, for warning, but, um, but then it'll kind of all sit at the bottom and then, you know, you might not deal, it might not bother you so much that there's kind of stuff in it. Um, yeah, I definitely, I, I used it in the coupe glass cause I wanted to be all fancy. And so I did not want any of the mm-hmm. seeds in my teeth. So, um, yeah, definitely strain it twice if you're going to do that. Yeah, double strain it. And then in the recipe, they uh, put on like a little sprig of like these red currant berries, which was really pretty, but I couldn't find red currant at our store. So I just used some raspberries onto uh, kind of one of those long like cocktail toothpicks and just slid that down into my martini glass. And yeah, it's very pink and very bright and it's very, very fruit forward and it's very delicious. It was really good. I like this one a lot. Yeah, this is uh, really amazing. And you can uh, make this in batches if you wanted to. So you just mm-hmm. muddle the fruit, mix it up, add the liquor, and then you could strain the whole thing and put it in a um, real big kind of Kool-Aid container and chill it and then serve it over ice. Uh, I may or may not have done that <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. Um, it's really good. It's one of my favorites. And if you don't have or can't find creme de cassis, I, I ran out um, because I used a lot um, and I substituted it with uh, Chambord, which oh, okay. is a raspberry liqueur. And since this has raspberry in it, it lends itself to it as well. But, um, you know, I'm dying to try this with uh, a blackberry brandy um, oh, okay. because I think that might be kind of interesting. And I found a blackberry brandy. So I may try that for the lobby bar next week. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, as okay. I experiment. Yeah, that sounds good. You'll have to let us know how that one turned out. But yeah, this one's definitely worth uh, giving a try, especially if you like kind of, it's, if you like fruity cocktails, but something, you know, a little bit, you know, fancier, a little bit more elegant tasting, uh, this is going to be right up your alley for sure. And it's really pretty. So uh, make one of these, take a picture and uh, tag us on the social medias so we can see it and let us know what you think about it. And now that we have ours made, why don't we take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about uh, this week's film and this cocktail's namesake, Stand By Me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Whoa, stand by me. Oh, stand now. Stand by me. Stand by me. If you haven't (laughs) seen the movie, you should press pause now and go watch it because we're going to talk about it. Stand by me. 
Well, so that so that was the spoiler warning for the film. We should have given a spoiler warning before the spoiler warning, just to you know give everyone a heads up that that song was coming in. But that was yeah, that I might have really terrified good. a few people. That was that was really good. I I was into it, and there's uh, gonna I, be traffic accidents. I appreciate the effort for sure, but yeah, yeah, if you've not if you've not seen Stand by Me, you know, pause this and uh, go check it out. But Stand by Me, it came out in 1986, and it was directed by Rob Reiner. And it was based on a short uh, story vignette by Stephen King, which is called The Body. Um, And it stars a lot of up-and-coming Hollywood talent. So it stars Will Wheaton, Corey Feldman, uh, Jerry O'Connell, Kiefer Sutherland, and the late River Phoenix. Late great River Phoenix. Um, Yeah, this film, um, it is routinely on the list of, you know, top 30 best films from the 1980s. Um, Mm -hmm. I should say uh, it's, I believe it's rated R. And so we're going to talk about some pretty adult stuff. Uh, So just, just trigger warning. There's a lot of adultness. Um, It's, (laughs) um, but that being said, it it did very well. um, It's as far as its critical claim, it's nominated for one Academy award for best adapted screenplay. Uh, mm-hmm. which I think it totally earns that nod. Um, it's uh, really well written. And of course, you know, these actors are pretty young. And so when you think about all the work that has to go into kind of achieve uh, the story and and have it, you know, be believable, um, I think I think people will be impressed if they've not seen it. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let's get right into the into the film here so it starts it starts out and um it's a little bit of a cryptic start there's just like it's kind of like this like safari looking jeep truck kind of thing and it's just sitting along the side of the road there's a gentleman inside of it um who's uh, richard dreyfus um even though it doesn't really look like richard dreyfus that much that's who it is um we don't know who he is but he's kind of sitting in there and he looks down at a newspaper and the headline for the newspaper it says attorney christopher chambers stabbed and then, you know, it just kind of, it kind of lingers on him. A couple kids ride by on their bicycle. Um, you, so you don't know, you know, you don't know who Christopher Chambers is. You don't know who this guy on the truck is. Um, and then you start in with the narration. And this film is narrated by Richard Dreyfuss. Um, and he says, I was 12 going on 13. Yeah. And this uh, film's backdrop is in a place called Castle Rock, Oregon, which is actually a mythical place. Uh, this film was actually filmed in Brownsville, Oregon. Um, because of its likeness and it, it's got this really nostalgic 1950s feel. And so this was supposed to take place in the summer right before Labor Day or on Labor Day weekend of the summer of 1959. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, it focuses in on the main character, Will Wheaton's character, his name's Gordy, which I think stands for Gordon, because I don't know if anybody would actually name their kid Gordy, but he's young. Uh, he's about 12 years old. He's buying magazines. You know, he's kind of walking through this town. Uh, the set direction is actually pretty cool because it's very subdued. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't, to me, it was really cool because you didn't see a bunch of stuff that just said, you know, the 50s, but it definitely was <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in that time. And he's kind of walking through um, some fields and then he cuts across the grass and he goes up to this really old treehouse that looks like it's about to fall down. And he gives this secret knock and uh, he's meeting his friends up there. Yeah. So has a couple of his friends up there and they're uh, 
and they're you know, smoking cigarettes, you know, as uh, I guess 12 years, 12 year olds in the 50s and you know, mischievous 12 year olds uh, everywhere are doing. Uh, they're doing some gambling. I think they were playing like blackjack or something. And we kind of get to meet this uh, crew of kids, these friends who are, you know, hanging out in this treehouse. So we have Gordy, um, who we, you know, kind of met by in the magazines at the beginning. But then there's also Teddy, Chris. And then um, shortly after, uh, Gordy gets there, uh, Vern. So the fourth of these friends are coming in and they're kind of hatching a plan with what they want to do because Vern has stumbled onto some information about a uh, kid from, you know, from their school that has gone missing. Um, and the police haven't been able to find uh, this kid's body yet, but Vern has kind of a hot tip from some older kids uh, and uh, they're kind of hatching a plan for, uh, you know, they want to get out and find this body and, you know, kind of get their, uh, get their fame, get their name in the newspapers and uh, turn this into one last kind of summer adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So Vern is, I would say kind of the nerdy, uh, kind of less, I don't know, he's, he's the geekier guy of the group. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't, he, he's probably carrying a little more weight on him. The kids make, you know, the three others kind of make fun of him the most. Um, he uh, was underneath his house, uh, digging for a penny for a penny jar that he had placed there. I don't know, eight months, the, the year before, and he lost, he couldn't figure out where it was. So he's digged yeah. all these holes underneath his house. And, um, he hears his brother and his brother's friend talk about, you know, when they were stealing a car, uh, they saw the, the boy walking around, uh, down these railroad tracks. So he thinks that there's a really good op- uh, possibility that the boy was hit by a train and, uh, he can't, he does, he's a little hesitant to tell his friends and actually go and look for that, uh, kid because his brother is part of this really nasty group of, of boys, right? They've got kind of mm-hmm. this bad boy gang and they do awful things throughout the whole movie. Um, yeah, but, they're they're absolutely terrible and um but Vern kind of brings it up and you know Teddy uh and Chris and Gordy all really kind of get into it and Gordy he's really kind of the mastermind he's very smart and so he comes up with cover stories that everyone's going to tell their parents so that they can Mm -hmm. make sure to take a couple days to be out away from their parents uh for a couple days because this is 1959 and I guess parents don't check up on their kids. I I don't know, Um, but they decide, you know, to meet back and go home, go home, grab a couple of, uh, you know, sleeping bags and, you know, some canteen um, stuff for water and then meet up to, to go find this kid. Yeah. They all kind of tell their parents that they're staying at each other's house. They're going to, you know, go camp. I'm going to go camp at Teddy's house and Teddy, you know, tells his parents they're going to go, you know, camp at Chris's house. Um, And we find, you know, Gordy's not going to have that much trouble because, uh, he goes home and tells his parents and his parents are pretty despondent. Um, you know, they're not paying him much attention. I think he asks his mom where the canteen is and she doesn't, you know, even respond to him. And eventually his dad says, you know, it's in uh, his room and we get to find out who, who he's talking about, who is his room. And it's, you know, Gordy's older brother and he had passed away. Right. Um, so Gordy's about 12 years old. Um, his brother was 18 and was actually kind of a football star in this little town. And uh, Gordy just worshiped his brother, Denny. Um, and Denny really was the only person in the family. You see some flashbacks and the Denny was really the only person in the family that thought Gordy was great. Um, mm-hmm. Gordy likes to write stories. He likes to make up stories and write them down. And his, uh, 
his biggest uh, sort of fan in that family was definitely Denny. And he died four months previous to this, uh, to the time that this story takes place. And his parents are still really grappling with that grief. The mom looks just like completely despondent, doesn't even Mm -hmm. register that anyone's talking to her. And the dad is really just very angry. Um, And there's an exchange when Gordy uh, goes into Denny's room and he finds the canteen and he has kind of a flashback of his brother giving him a Yankees cap. And he's kind of snapped out of it because his father is talking to him and says, you know, why can't you have friends like Denny? Why are you going to hang out with these boys? You know, they're thieves. And um, one of them's, you know, one of them's crazy. And he says, you know, they're not a thief. There's none of them are thieves. And Gordy's dad looks at him and says, you know, Chris stole the milk money at school. That's a thief. And so Gordy doesn't really respond, but you can tell his father does not think much of him or his or his friends or anything that's important to him. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's just really sad. So, you know, the scene kind of ends there. Gordy ends up going out and uh, meeting up with Chris. Um, and Chris is really his best friend, Chris Chambers. Um, he's mm-hmm. played by River Phoenix. He's got this white T-shirt on. And like you can tell the difference in their clothing because Gordy's pants um, actually ha- have patches on them where like on the knees. But uh, Chris doesn't like he he just has holy pants because no one cares. Mm-hmm. And yep. he makes reference throughout uh, their time together over the course of this weekend's adventure that, you know, his father doesn't really care. His brother, you know, his brother's a part of this gang member group, this group of boys, the older mm-hmm. boys that are just awful. And so everybody thinks that Chris is going to end up being, you know, a good for nothing, just like the rest of his family. And he knows that the pressure's on and he's, you know, been deemed a, a you know, a thief because he stole the milk money. And it's really an interesting uh, dynamic between these two characters, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as he, you know, he kind of meets up with Chris as they're getting ready to go off on this adventure. Chris, you know, shows him uh, Chris had, you know, for, for protection out on the trail, I guess Chris had taken the gun from his dad's nightstand. So um, uh, instantly when you see that, you're like, well, that's probably no good. And you know, that's the, not going to end well for anybody. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the gun accidentally goes off and someone kind of chases them away. And then, yeah, you mentioned Chris's brother was, you know, part of this gang. So Chris's brother, and then the kind of the ringleader of this, uh, gang, uh, his name is Ace Merrill and he's played by Kiefer Sutherland. And, you know, they come up and they're, you know, uh, giving Chris and, um, Gordy a hard time. They started like beating him up. They steal Gordy's hat, which is something that we just seen his brother give to him in the flashback. Um, and so right away, just kind of in this short uh, exchange with these older kids, you're like, these older kids are no good. Uh, nothing good is going to come of these kids. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of the starting point for uh, this adventure. And then uh, we're going to meet up with Vern and Teddy and you know uh, start uh, walking the tracks that's right so teddy we haven't talked really much about teddy so teddy Jachamp is a uh, a kid whose father um he's played by Corey feldman um excellently by the way uh he his father uh, had some mental health issues i guess that's the the very nice way of putting it um he got really angry once at teddy when teddy was a little kid and like put his ear to a stove. So his ears all mangled. Um, Mm -hmm. and he's got these thick glasses 
Um, but his big dream, he knows a lot about like the army and his, you know, one of the, the things that he loves to do with all four of these guys is while they're walking this, these train tracks, right. They are singing these kind of army songs and, um, soldier you know, kind of soldier. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know what they're, they're, they're songs, but they're like songs you march to and stuff. And, um, right. yep. they start walking this, they think, oh, it's going to be about 30 miles along these tracks. And, um, you know, they've been walking for an hour or two. And of course, Vern says, hey, does anybody have any food? And they realize that they didn't bring any food. They have all of the stuff that they need except food. And this is going to be a real long trip. So, of course, Gordy, the, the smart one out of all four of them, he's like, hey, guys, let's not yell at each other about it. Let's just uh, check our pockets and see how much money we have. Yeah, And so they do that. And of course, you know, they each have a, a, a little bit of money. Um, it ends up being like $2.50, which today would get you like a cup of coffee somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but there, they, they, they can go and like get some ground beef and some hot dog buns. And it's yeah, a different it, time. Yeah, it, it, that money goes a little bit further for them. But yeah, so they're kind of lamenting, you know, no one, no one brought food. And we, and we get a little bit, you know, kind of a look at Teddy's, you know, kind of persona and his mental state because they're walking down these train tracks which uh, they think they're gonna have to go about 30 miles to where like this river junction is where they think that uh, you know this uh, young kid uh, might be my his body might be there Um, and this train's coming and so all the boys you know get off the track except for Teddy who's standing there and you know he's spouting off his you know military stuff talking about you know storming Normandy just like his dad um, and things and he's kind of playing chicken with this train so Chris goes up and he knocks him off the train and they have kind of this little you know tussle over it you know Chris asking him why did it but it it kind of you know leads a little bit of you know insight into Teddy's mental state and, you know, kind of his home life and growing up and, you know, kind of the way that he sees things and maybe he doesn't, you know, value his own life as much as he should. Yeah, for sure. And you find out later that Chris kept having dreams that Teddy would get on the tracks and that he wouldn't, that Chris would be trying to run to push him off the tracks and he wouldn't make it. Um, And so it also gives you a different perspective on Chris because he feels kind of like, uh you know he's he's not necessarily the smart one he's you know he's 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 got an uphill battle but he wants to look after all of his friends in a different way Mm -hmm. than than anybody else does so that's kind of um that's kind of interesting and they uh they decide to go i guess through this junkyard in order to cut a couple of minutes uh, off of their trip and uh, go buy some food at this convenience store that's on the other side of it. And while they're going through the junkyard, you know, they're talking about how, you know, they, they got to be real quick. They can't, you know, they can sit here and, and fill their canteens with the water, but mm-hmm. they can't stay for very long because there's this, you know, the, this old man who runs the junkyard and he's got this dog who, um, his name's Chopper and he's like this horrible dog that basically eats people yeah. but, and, and yeah. the boys. So they, you know, they've got the idea of exactly what they eat and it's really bad and gross. And, and, you know, they're sitting there, to, you know, kind of spitting water at each other and just kind of mm-hmm. making fun of each other's moms. And it's a lot of, a lot of adult language, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it's strangely innocent because they're not, they don't mean anything by it. They're just saying things to say them. Yeah. 
yeah, they're just they're just kind of you know twelve year old boys hanging out at this at this place. But yeah, they they get into this uh, junkyard and kind of kind of interspersed with these little like travel vignettes that you have with the boys. You also have kind of these little vignettes of these jerky bully kids you know back in back in town so you'll see like the Kiefer Sutherland's character they're like driving in the car like knocking over these mailbox and it's just kind of it just kind of goes back and forth between these kind of two storylines but yeah they're hanging out at the hanging out at the junkyard they need to go get food so they all say that Vern should go but you know that's not really fair so they decide to flip so uh, they flip some coins and Gordy comes up on the uh, short end there so he has to run in to a kind of this convenience store that's just up the road from this uh, junkyard uh, that they're hanging out so uh, he gets in there and he's buying some stuff he gets some cokes and some burgers so like you said uh, you know two dollars and 67 cents or whatever it was goes a little bit further back then but uh, the shopkeeper he brings up uh, Gordy's brother he's like I know that was your brother I remember him he played football do you play football why don't you play football and then we get into uh, another kind of family uh, flashback for Gordy there with his brother and his parents and that really kind of cements what you sort of figured out from the first flashback but that you know Gordy's brother was the kind of a golden child that his parents you know really loved and admired and were proud of and Gordy was just kind of uh, you know this this other kid that was there Tagging yeah, along. that happened to be there in that house living with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and Denny, you know, he, he was young, so he was 18 years old, but he saw that and he picked up on it and, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't outright like challenge his father um, or his mother on any of these, but he would bring things up in a gentle way and say, Hey, you know, Gordy wrote a story. Um, you should read it. Um, and, it was really, it's a really sad, but beautiful kind of scene because you can see that uh, Gordy's character is truly devastated by his mm-hmm. brother's loss because he was the only one in that family that, you know, thought that he, that writing was good and it, you know, it wasn't football. And even the shopkeeper's like, well, why don't you play football? And he says, I don't know. You know, he doesn't really, he's real quiet and reserved and it just isn't something, if you look at him, he's kind of a scrawny, you know, Mm -hmm. kid. He's not, he's not going to be built like a linebacker. So it's, you know, that's just not who he is. And um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic, but it also plays into, you know, each one of these four boys has kind of a a, a family dynamic and a story that Mm -hmm. plays out during the, during the time that they spend together. Yeah, out on this trail. So that you know, Gordy gets this food and he gets back to the junkyard to meet up with his friends and he gets there and his his friends are gone because uh, he apparently took a little bit too long or the junkyard uh, keeper got back a little bit early and he's there. So uh, Dread Chopper, the very angry dog is there and uh, chases Gordy, but Gordy, you know, luckily makes it to the fence kind of just in the uh, nick of time and you know, keeps all of his uh, parts intact. You know, Chopper wasn't able to get him on this day. And, you know, they get back onto the trail and they're, you know, they're yelling at you know, at the guy who's, you know, keeping the junkyard and going toe to toe, you know, Teddy's, you know, giving him, you know, his two cents. And the guy at the junkyard's like, I know all of your parents, I'll call them except for, except for yours. Teddy, uh, your dad is crazy. He's up in that insane asylum because he went nuts and you're going to be nuts and you're not going to amount to anything. And so now we've learned a little bit about uh, more about, you know, Teddy's kind of home life. So. Right. 
And Teddy, you know, he, his father obviously was not, uh, struggled a lot and, and maybe wasn't a very good dad. Um, probably not a good dad. Um, but that's when Teddy really goes after he's going to climb the fence and, you know, go <laughs> try his best to beat up the junkyard owner. And, um, he just gets really upset. And so they, they kind of drag him off and he's crying and they try to calm him down. And, you know, of course, Chris, right. Chris is the one who's trying to make things right. And he's saying, look, your, your relationship with your dad is yours. And, you know, his dad, you know, nobody else went to Normandy and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and your dad probably really loves you. And, and, Teddy's just like, I, I'm, you know, he's having this kind of a breakdown, very emotional breakdown. And then he completely is like, I'm fine. I don't want to talk about it. Let's keep going. And of course, Vern is trying to make the best of the situation because it's very awkward and the silence is really hard. And so he starts to try mm-hmm. and sing one of the soldier songs and they all look at him like, what are you doing? And then Teddy, you know, apologizes and he says, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to ruin everyone's good time. Mm-hmm. And Gordy brings up a really interesting point. He says, you know, we're, we're, we're on our way to find a dead body. Like, I don't think maybe this shouldn't be a party. I think maybe yeah. this should be something else. And, uh, and so they all, it, it kind of sombers the mood and brings uh, some meaning behind it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's well done. The scene is well done. And of course, then Gordy, who is an adult and kind of, Richard Dreyfuss' uh, voiceover uh, explains that, you know, it, it really was confusing to the, everybody because Teddy loved his dad who treated him so horribly and Gordy couldn't mm-hmm. give a care about his parents, right? <laughs> who, yeah. who probably don't care about him either, but he's like, man, if someone insulted my, my dad like that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have freaked out. And this person yeah. who did something horrible to their own son, he's like defending him and um, ready to completely, <laughs> you know, go toe to toe with this older guy with a dog that will kill you. Um, <laughs> it's interesting it's psychologically right yeah and it, it definitely you know takes a more somber turn here for yeah for our for sure. our, uh, our group of kids going down the railroad tracks but we're going to flash back kind of to the uh you know this uh gang of bullies back there and they're like hanging out in this field you know kind of sitting on the roof of the car and on this picnic table I, one well, of them's like, the name one of them, them's right? like one of them's like etching like a <laughs> something into their arm with like yeah, a piece of yeah, wire and yeah he's using a razor to oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Put the name Cobra because they're now they've all named themselves the Cobras, and so they all mm-hmm. have this scarification razor <laughs> tattoo thing on their arm, and it looks yeah. awful. It's the you know, yeah, they're don't gonna regret do, it. <laughs> don't don't do that at home, and don't hang out with kids that want to do that at home. Uh, that's my advice to everyone out there. But uh, these kids are hanging out, and kind of the the important bit of these kids hanging out is they're listening to the radio, and then like like the little like news update comes on, you know, after the song ends, and it says that they're expanding the search for this dead body, and so it's kind of at that point that the Kiefer Sutherland's character uh, Ace is like they're expanding the search we need to go find this body then so we can be the first ones to get to it um right. and that's kind of kind of going to accelerate you know kind of this uh this kind of standoff you know meeting at the at the head here for the group of boys and then this the group of uh, cobras as they are called right yeah they um they start to have that conversation because the two guys you know they they 
don't want to tell Ace because they were stealing a car and Ace didn't know about it. And he's probably going to be real mad, but they also want him to know about it because they want to, they want to be able to be the people that get the notoriety for finding this body. And it's at this point when I was watching it, where I really didn't quite understand why it was so important that somebody gets notoriety for finding a body, mm-hmm. but whatever. I mean, <laughs> it was 1959. I wasn't there, um, yeah. but yeah. So uh, the, the next scene is um, with the four boys and, you know, Gordy and Chris are talking, Teddy and Vern are way ahead and they're just, you know, having a conversation. Gordy saying, hey, Chris, you should you should take the, these classes with me because he's got these what they're called. They're called college classes. But since he's going into junior high, I don't know how how that works. But mm-hmm. Gordy's real smart. And he says, Hey, Chris, you're just as smart as me. You could take these classes. And he's like, nah, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm never going to get out of Castle Rock. I'm never going to leave. And, uh, but, but Chris encourages Gordy to keep writing. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, they have some of these exchanges when the other two are either behind them or ahead of them walk in and, but it really shows how close that they are. And Mm -hmm. um, he says, you know, it's, it's all going to change. We're going into junior high. Things can change. We, we can be anybody. And, Chris is like, ah, no, I don't know if I'm going to be able to be anybody. And yeah, he's you know, like, I'm but, never, I'm never going to get out of this town, but, but you could get out of town. So you should definitely take these, you know, college classes or college, like preparation, you know, yeah. kind of coursework and stuff. So, yeah. And then they come upon this bridge, which is actually a real bridge. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's up in, it's up in Oregon and um, it's a real long bridge and it is very very high there's a river underneath it and it's about 120 feet up in the air it's real real high and so they have to decide whether they're going to walk across this bridge and this bridge by the way is not a road bridge that is like driven on it is just for the train tracks so Mm -hmm. um it's real dangerous (laughs) so they have to decide are they going to walk the tracks and cut across in 20 minutes or are they going to go down to an actual bridge which is probably a lot safer but it's five miles down the river and of course teddy DeChant is like it's fine i'm going across and you guys do what you want but i'll be over on the other side collecting my thoughts and he just Mm -hmm. starts walking and then yeah yeah, he just starts going and so Teddy's going and then Chris kind of follows right behind them and that leaves, you know, Gordy and Vern to bring up the rear and they're going real slow at the, at the back Poor end. Gordy. And Ver- yeah, Gordy's Vern. Gordy. Yeah. Gordy. Or, yeah. Vern's like crawling across this thing. Right. Because like you said, it's just for trains. So it's just like, like these slats on top of wood. Right. So there, there's little gaps because the, you know, the train's on the track because it doesn't need to be walking across this thing. So he's going, you know, he's like kind of crawling across it and Teddy's like, or, and, and Gordy's like, uh, Vern, you, you gotta go, you gotta, you gotta stand up and walk. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a very near miss, but luckily they do kind of get across just at the very last moment. And you, you get like the train just like barreling down on these kids, getting closer and closer to them as they get towards the edge and kind of, you know, fling themselves down like this little embankment right at where the uh, train tracks kind of connect back on the other side of this giant gorge. Yeah. Gordy's very smart in that he, he feels the, um, the track for vibration because mm-hmm. he figures because this track this this bridge there's a big turn right before the bridge so you're not going to see this long you know you're not going to have miles and miles 
of um, notice that a train is coming. And um, I don't know if anybody knows this, but it takes a train like a mile to slow down and stop once it's at like 50, 60 miles an hour. Okay. So this is not something that's super easy to do. So the train is the, you know, the, he doesn't feel anything. They get about halfway and then he feels it again. And he looks up and he can see the smoke and you can't see the train. You just see the smoke. And then he starts screaming and it's actually really kind of scary as a parent. I remember watching this before I had kids, but now that I've had a kid, I, my heart pounded and I knew that the, the ending of the scene was they were mm-hmm. going to be okay. But you know, Vern is absolutely terrified. He is crying. He is screaming. He stops uh, a couple of times and he just goes down to the ground to think, to think that like, if he just makes himself real small, the train will go over him. And yeah. you were just like, oh gosh, please keep going. And this scene was filmed really, really well. Um, Apparently they had to do a couple of different takes. They use what they call compression film um, because they actually had a train that they manually would like push. Um, uh, okay. But it was, it was much further back than it actually looks like in the film. Mm-hmm. And they used um, for the long shots, they used um, young, uh, well, small statured women. Uh, dressed up as the boys oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. just to make sure uh, because this is a, it was real <laughs> um, just in case somebody did fall um, they they would be the stunt stunt women but um, this is one of the one of the best I think cinemagraphic uh, feats of this film because it mm-hmm. really it looks really good and it's very kind of old school done there's no cgi they actually had a train um and this you can go visit this bridge today actually yeah it's a, it's probably about the only wide shot in the film after kind of the beginning when it shows like the wide shot of that you know jeep or whatever it is sitting sitting at the mm-hmm. front you know everything else is pretty intimate but yeah it shows this train just kind of barreling on but close call uh boys make it over uh don't do that at home take the long way you know play it safe if you're going on this adventure yourself but uh they get they get to a good spot i guess and they're going to set up camp for the night you know sun's going down so they're sitting around a campfire they're cooking their burgers uh, smoking some cigarettes um and they all you know ask gordy to tell them a story gordy is a is a up-and-coming you know a budding young writer and they think that gordy could tell him a good camp uh, campfire story and so he does he tells the story of a pie eating contest uh and it turns into uh quite quite the show michaela quite <laughs> quite the show here at this pie eating contest <laughs> that's right that's right so hogan um he they don't call him that they call him something else it's not nice um he's a big boy he's he's he would be what we would conventionally call fat um he is uh constantly bullied by his size and he uh picks this this pie eating contest for revenge. And he ends up drinking. Uh, he gets on the panel to uh, be in the, the pie eating contest. And there's a bunch of, there's like a, a sports guy who's uh, like a football legend. Who's like the five-time pie eating contest champion that's mm-hmm. on this. There's a radio j- disc jockey um, that's in there uh, as well. That's on the panel. There's like the school principal and they all make fun of him. They all call him ma- names. Um, and they think that it's in good fun. Like they think that it does. I don't know what they think. I guess they think it doesn't bother him or that it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. but they don't think anything of it. They don't even apologize when they mistake They don't even say his real name. It's, um, it's not nice. 
But he, um, before he goes on stage to, to participate in this contest, he drinks an entire bottle of castor oil. Gross. And he tops that off <laughs> with a raw egg. Also gross. I, I'm not a scientist, but I don't know what, I don't know why he did the, the egg. Cause I think the bottle, I mean, it's like a three liter bottle of castor yeah. oil. Yeah. It, I think that probably would have been enough. I think it was just for some uh, dramatic flair for uh, Gordy's story here that he's telling, but yeah, he, uh, he does that. And then he goes out to the pie eating contest and uh, starts eating these pies. And I don't, I guess they're like blackberry pies or something uh, like that. Some sort of dark berry pie. Um, and he eats one and then another, and then another, and then another. <laughs> uh, and then that castor oil, not sitting well in the stomach. So all those pies have to go somewhere. Right. Yeah. And uh, he gets sick all over everybody and everything and everybody else starts to get sick and then it hits the crowd and it just turns into what Gordy calls a barfarama. And it's a really fun scene in the sense that it's very colorful. It's very lighthearted. Um, this part of it is um, the bullying is not so much for me, um, yeah. but the, this part when he really he gets his revenge right and he just sits back and he's like watching everybody get sick on each other. And and it's so funny because Gordy's storytelling is really imaginative and he's talking about different people that are in the audience and, um, and he's doing it like on the fly. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a really cool scene because they, they all just are eating up his story. And then at the end he says, you know, everyone's like, well, what, what happens then? And he says, Oh, that's, that's it. And Teddy was like, well, what else happens? And he says, oh, I don't know. I, that, that's kind of the end of the story. It's just a short story. And, Vern is like, well, maybe he, you know, maybe he, you know, he celebrates with some cheeseburgers and Teddy's like, maybe he goes home and shoots his dad and joins the army. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Teddy, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and take, um, it, take it down a notch, Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is like, ah, it's a great story. It's fine. So they, they, they talk on and they um, talk about the weirdest thing, like the things that you only talk about when you're 12, I guess, and a boy, like if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? And Vern is like cherry flavored Pez. Oh yeah. That's best, that's, best stuff that's ever. I, I do like Pez. Do you like Pez, Michaela? I do like Pez. Um, I mostly like it because of the containers that it comes in that you oh, can collect, yeah. but yeah, I do like cherry flavored Pez. I just don't know if it's the thing that I would eat for I the rest of my life. It. Yeah, they talk. Um, they talk about that. They talk about if uh, Superman or Mighty Mouse would win in a fight, and Superman would because Superman's a real person, not a cartoon. Um, you know, true. and they're they're just having all these conversations, and then you get uh, you know Richard Dreyfus, you know, narrating as you know Gordy's voice. He said, you know, we talked you know all night long sitting around that campfire, and it's you know the kind of talking that seems important when you're 12 years old. So uh, they're just going over all of this stuff. But as they're sitting around, they hear some coyotes off in the distance. So. Uh, they're going to take the gun, you know, that Chris had gotten from his father's nightstand and they're, they're each going to take their turn uh, sitting, you know, kind of, you know, taking their turn sitting on guard at this tree kind of off from the campsite a little bit. And then uh, Gordy is going to kind of fall asleep and he has a dream about his brother's funeral. Um, and when he wakes up from the dream, he's, you know, going to get a little bit of a moment to talk to Chris about it. And uh, he's talking about, you know, I had this dream about my brother's funeral and I didn't cry at my brother's funeral. And that's weird. And Chris is like, that's, you know, it's, if, if you don't cry, that's, that's on you. That's not, you know, it's not weird. You do what you do, what you do the right. That's just, that's how it works. So. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I think it's at this point too, Gordy is, um, 
you know, really talking to Chris about his, you know, this, this rumor that's been going around about Chris stealing the milk money. Right. So there, uh, for those of you that don't know, cause I had to ask somebody about this um, back in the day, you'd bring in money for milk for school. And um, somebody stole this kind of kitty full of money and uh, and Chris uh, over, you know, they're talking and Chris admits that, yeah, he stole the milk money and then he felt bad about it. And so the next day he went to go to the teacher to give it back and the teacher took it back, but then they suspended him anyway. Um, and they didn't even ask him if they took it. They just said, okay, you know, um, the money's gone and you're on suspension. And he is really disappointed because he realized that the teacher had taken the money and bought herself a skirt with it and used his, you know, family name and the fact that he had done it and uh, in the first place and uh, to her advantage. And he felt very betrayed and he actually breaks down. It's pretty serious. It's, you know, really sad to watch because um, mm-hmm. he's like, I, I, I know that my family's you know, you know, not a great family, but I never thought a teacher would, would, would do that. And, yeah. you know, Gordy is like, well, you know, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Like just, you know, that happened once we can, it's okay. And they, you know, they, they have this moment where they both kind of open, open up to each other about the thing that's most, you know, uh, intimate to them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah. a really great performance from, River Phoenix, um, because it is the only time that you see him not be tough and strong um, or, and, you know, uh, fearless. Because it, throughout the film, even when people are arguing and things, he's very level-headed and like, hey, calm down, stop. You know, even when he and Teddy are fighting and Teddy was, you know, jumping on the tracks and, you know, gonna, gonna dodge the train, <laughs> He ends up apologizing to Teddy because it hurt his feelings and saying, you know, we're still mm-hmm. friends, you know, just, you know, and they have this special handshake and he's like, you know, it's cool, but, you know, no hard feelings, man. Um, yeah. But this scene is it really, it, you know, given the fact that I think River Phoenix was maybe 13, 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great performance. Yeah, it's it's really good. And it kind of ends with, you know, Gordy taking his his turn, you know, watching guard with the gun and then it gets to the next morning and, you know, Gordy's kind of sitting on the train tracks waiting for the other boys to wake up. And this deer kind of comes out and walks right in front of him um, and has a little moment. The deer kind of looks up at Gordy and Gordy's just looking back at the deer. And then you'll get, you'll hear um, uh, Richard Dreyfus, you know, who's narrating it saying, you know, I never told uh, my friends about that deer. I just kept that for myself. I never told anyone until right now uh, when I'm, you know, telling you the story basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, so that's kind of neat, but yeah, it's time to get, you know, back onto the trail and the, the train tracks, you know, are going kind of, you know, around this big bend and it has to, you know, go way around. And, uh, you know, there's a shortcut if the boys want to go, you know, kind of take this path through the woods, you know, an uncharted path. Um, but if they get off the train tracks, it's going to save them some time, save them some miles. So, uh, they all kind of decide and Vern reluctantly, you know, decide to head off through these, uh, uncharted woods. And meanwhile, the, uh, bully kids, the Cobras have, uh, they're getting ready to leave on their way to go find this body. So they're piling into the cars and, you know, uh, Ace is uh, not given the rest of the crew a choice about going or not because he says that they're going and that's where they're uh, 
going to go wherever he tells them to. So they're off to find the body too. But, you know, the group of young boys are off through this uh, pretty uh, scary looking uh, patch of woods. Yeah, you know, it doesn't look that bad on the outside, but once they get in, it's like, you know, the fires, the pit of despair. I mean, it's really gross. And so they there's this kind of swamp looking area and they're like, it's, you know, should we, well, how are we going to go around this? This is not going to work. And so uh, one of the boys kind of takes a stick and is like, oh, it's not that deep, you know, mm-hmm. uh, test it out. And then they start walking and they get about two feet in and then it, it, it goes down to like their entire you know, neck, it's like neck deep. So all their packs are gross now and their, um, mm-hmm. all their kit is just entirely disgusting. And they think it's, you know, kind of funny. Vern and Teddy start to kind of splash each other as if it's a swimming pool and it's just totally gross looking. It just really bothers me. And then they're kind of wrestling around. And, um, I think Gordy starts yelling at him because, uh, uh, he's like, Vern, there's something on your neck. There's something on your neck. And of course, Vern's like, I'm not falling for it. I'm not falling for it because everybody teases Vern. And then he realizes there is definitely something on his neck. And it is the grossest, most disgusting leech I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a it's like a monster leech. It's like the size of a football on him. So so that, uh, you know, gets the kids up out of the swamp. They cross over to the other side and, you know, immediately kind of start stripping off down to their underwear trying to get these uh, leeches off of them and they're just absolutely horrifically gross looking and you know leaving all this like <laughs> bloody marks behind where they've been you know <laughs> feasting on these kids that have just been into this uh swamp and it's it's not good it's it's real gross so it's real gross um you know gordy everybody kind of gets them off except for gordy he finds one in his underwear and it's really awful. And he faints and everybody at first, they're like, Oh my God, he's dead. And yet he's not dead. And then magically, like, I don't know, 20 minutes later, he's fine. He's woken up and all their clothes are dry. So that's a, that's a, that's probably not the way that's supposed to have gone. Um, but their clothes are dry, which is good. Um, and, but they're, they're fighting about stuff, right? They're, they're like, Hey, we shouldn't have come this way. And, yeah, they're kind of having a little bit of an argument as Gordy's coming too. You know, the other three boys are are talking. You know, this this was a whole thing. We shouldn't have come. We should just turn around and go back. We can still get home by nightfall if we, you know, head back tonight. Let's just get out of here. And Gordy's kind of coming too. And at this point, he's uh, feeling pretty committed. And I I think you know, um, you know, older Gordy. Um, as he's kind of narrating it is like, you know, for some reason at this point, he felt really attached to finding uh, this dead body. You know, he, did, he didn't really understand what it was, but he really wanted to, to go do it. So Gordy kind of yells at the others, you know, we're, uh, we're not turning around. We're going to keep going. So get ready. We're going to keep, keep going. So. Yep. Yeah. And they're, they're all kind of feeling very uh, on edge, right? As the closer they get to the culmination of this, because they, they don't know what they're going to expect to find. Um, meanwhile, the, you know, the jerk kids, the, the, <laughs> the Cobras are racing uh, that 30 miles, right? And um, they find a, a car full of other kids that are next to them. And they decide to, you know, go on a two lane road and like race them to see who can pass. And it just speaks to ACE's complete lack of, uh, consideration or, um, yeah, I don't know. He's just, he, he's like a complete, he, I would say he's a sociopath, but he's, he doesn't even seem nice. Like he's just an awful person. So he, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's toe to toe with this other, this other car. And there's a truck coming. That's like a logging truck and it's got tons of logs. It's got a very big load. And, Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't stop. Like, he's like, I'm not, I'm not, he doesn't move over. He doesn't slow down. He just, um, keeps going. And his whole crew gets terrified that they're going to die because the, the truck can't move as quickly. It's got a bigger load. And so the truck ends up ditching into the ditch and there's a huge accident behind them. And he doesn't care. I mean, he just does not care. He doesn't care about anybody. Yeah. He's just excited because he, uh, he won the race and that was all, that was what, what his uh, mindset was there through that. So yeah, that's a, that's how that's how ace is doing so but back on back on the road with the the boys and uh, they get the leeches off they're back on the road and they're going down they get to kind of this um this sort of little uh river bend where they think the body is so they kind of split up you know and they're looking you know two of them are on one side of the tracks two of them are on the other side and it doesn't take them very long but uh they see kind of a shoe sticking out from underneath of uh bush you know just kind of down off the train tracks a little bit and they go over and uh they find the body of this uh, young kid, one of their classmates. Yeah, his name is Ray Browers, and um, he's probably probably about thirteen years old. Um, they, you know, from a cinematic perspective, they Rob Reiner, the director, made the decision to not show them um, what they would be seeing until it was time to actually film it, and um, you know, really captured their reaction. Um, it's not super gory. Um, it's, it, this movie's probably rated R for all the other things that are horrible about this film, but it's, it's not that you see a bunch of blood and guts. Um, but it is really hard to watch. It's hard to see. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, um, you know, they kind of just, they, they're very struck by it. They don't really know what to say. And so Gordy says, you know, let's go find, or I guess Chris says, let's go find some, some big branches to make like a stretcher because their Mm -hmm. intention at this point is to bring him back (laughs) the 30 miles that they've just, um, they've just walked. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, Gordy kind of sits down and is real quiet. And then, um, you know, he starts to speak a little bit and he says, you know, I'm, I really miss my brother. Like, and you wouldn't think that they're this that they're comparable things, but I really you really realize that Gordy has been kind of living out this and it and dealing with his own grief over his brother through this process of going to find this dead body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So he's kind of he's kind of sitting there, and Chris is sitting with him as he's you know talking through you know getting over the the death of his brother, but doesn't have too much time to get into it too much because about that time, you know, Ace and, you know, his, his crew show up and, you know, they tell the kids, you know, (laughs) if you leave right now, then we'll take credit for the body and we won't uh, kill you kids. And that'll be that. Right. But, you know, Gordy's come this, come this far. So he stands up to Ace. He's like, no, you're not, you're not touching this body. You know, we found it first. Uh, we are going to be the ones that, you know, take care of it and you're a jerk and get out of here. Uh, so about this time, Ace pulls a knife and is, you know, is threatening these kids, right? Like he's, right. He, he's not messing around, but uh, Ace has a knife, but Gordy still has that gun from uh, Chris's dad from, you know, doing the uh, overnight watch the night before. So he pulls out the gun and uh, this scene is 
pretty attention filled and you're pretty sure that that gun's going to go off, but um, it does not. So it does not. Yeah. It's, it really, man. I mean, you just, the visceral feeling you have Kiefer Sutherland was amazing in this film because you just hate him so much. And he's his so terrible. brother, yeah. he's so terrible. And, you know, Chris's brother is in this gang and they call him eyeball and he starts to get really scared because Chris is standing up to him, you know, Teddy and Vern have run away. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it's Chris and Gordy and Chris is standing there and he's like, you're not taking the body. We're taking him. We found him. You guys drove here. We've been walking forever it's ours. And, you know, he gets the knife and he gets it real close to Chris and you really, Chris doesn't move. He's scared. He's looking at his brother. His brother's looking at him like, what are you doing? Um, Cause his, but his brother's not going to like stand up for him and help him. And then, you know, you hear Gordy, uh, you know, he de- delivers one shot in the air and then he tells Ace, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shoot anybody else. I'm just going to shoot you. And so they, I, this, they, they make some more threats and they say this isn't over and this is big new you know this is a big deal and you know we'll we are going to get you back later and then they get in their car and they leave and they leave yeah it's it's really yeah ace has like that knife like pointed like about one centimeter away from uh chris's eye it's uh, it's it's not very pleasant to watch and super tension filled but yeah gordy gordy stands his ground and you know eventually ace you know calls off his uh, group of guys and they they get out of here and then uh we find out that you know kind of the boys decided that you know doing this for you know kind of the attention and getting their names in the paper and stuff that wasn't really the the right reason to have been doing this kind of all along so uh they end up putting in an an anonymous call to you know the police to tell them you know that that this body is is out here so the police can come take care of it which is uh what you should do if you're ever in this uh same situation so uh all the yeah the boys found the body uh which was you know kind of the goal of their adventures so they're heading back into town and you know they they made it i think they said that you know they got back you know at like 7 a.m the next morning so the the it was like 40 hours or something they were gone on this adventure so yep and uh they make it back to the center of town they don't really talk uh, much on the way back um, because they're all kind of processing it and thinking about, you know, what they've done and, and what it means to them. But as they say goodbye, kind of on the main street, uh, you know, Richard Dreyfuss's voiceover uh, says, you know, that uh, over time, you know, Gordy and Chris stay pretty close, but Vern and Teddy, you know, they kind of all, they, those two groups kind of grow apart and, and they become just kind of other people that they see in the hallway and classmates. And, um, you know, Vern stayed in town. He didn't leave Castle Rock. He got married and he's like a forklift operator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Teddy tried forever to try and join the army because he really wanted um, to be like his dad, but his, he, you know, he had glasses that were pretty thick. So his eyes and then his, his damaged ear kept him out. And so he ended up, um, really not, not doing, I don't want to say not doing a whole lot, but he spent some time in jail. He, he got, you know, he did some odd jobs around town, but he also never left. And, um, Chris did, you know, he says goodbye to Chris and Chris kind of, you know, they walk in different directions through, uh, through the center of town. And Chris did get out of town. He ended up, um, doing the college courses with Gordy and he worked real hard and he ended up going to college and then law school. And, um, you know, uh, he went to a fast food restaurant and there was a 
couple in front of him that were getting into a fight. And of course, Chris was always the peacemaker trying to make peace with, you know, and trying to get people to calm down. And, and he tries to do that with these strangers and he gets stabbed and is killed. Yep. And uh, Gordy is, was reading that in the newspaper when the movie begins. And so now we kind of fast forward 30 years um, so Gordy is Richard Dreyfuss's character and he's writing this story um, on his Apple II computer. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I hadn't seen him in 10 years, but I know I'm going to miss him forever. And, you know, you never quite have friends like you do when you're 12. And in the meantime, his son walks in uh, and, you know, Richard Dreyfuss's character is staring kind of off into space. And he's like, dad, are you going to take us to the pool? <laughs> are you are you done yet? And he says, mm-hmm. oh, are you guys ready? And they said, yeah, we've been ready for an hour. And it's him. It's his son and his friend. And he says, oh, I'll be there in a minute. And then, it's, you know, and they're about 12 years old. And the the friend is like, what's up with your dad? And he says, oh, he gets that way when he's writing. You know, he just kind of goes off. Yeah. And uh, Richard Dreyfuss is, you know, Gordy laughs and uh, he goes out and gets it, gets the two kids. They're playing with their towels in the front lawn and he gets them into their uh, into the army Jeep looking thing that he drives and mm-hmm. uh, and takes them because he kind of realizes that that's, you know, that's what he needs to be doing. He needs to be here now. So, yep. and then over, of course, at the end, there's the do, 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 do. Do. So mm-hmm. Benny King's Stand By Me, which is yeah, so really they, the only. Yeah, so they'd, they'd actually played the song. They play it, you know, throughout the film. Um, so it kind of starts at that very first scene when when they're in the car. But it's more it's like little like instrumental versions of it and just like little quips of it. But they play at the end of the film, they play like the actual uh, yeah. song. So that's the first time you get to hear the actual song of it. But but yeah, it's just kind of this memoir from. Uh, Gordy, you know, kind of retelling this tale of the story from when he was 12 and they went to find uh, this dead body and he you know, formed this kind of uh, relationship with his friends over the course of these two days that they spent walking the train track. So, uh, Michaela, so this came out in 1986. Uh, what um, What's kind of your history with Stand By Me? Was this something that you'd watched as a youngster or were you way too young to have watched it when you watched it? I probably was a bit young. Uh, I will say I watched this in 1988, 1987. So I was six or seven years old when I saw this for the first time. And I know that because I remember where I was living. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, I I have a very good memory and I've always loved film. So I would kind of say some of the extra thing, some of the things I would quote the movie and that would get me into a lot of trouble because this is not, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very adult language. And I was like seven. So I did see this when I was very young. And I think that I've revisited it a few times in my life and you know, when you're a kid, it's about, Oh, you're going to, you know, it's that they find a dead body and Ooh, and, and the bad boys are bad. And then the, you know, but they, they have a gun and so it's okay. And so you, you don't really get it um, until you're a little bit older, but it's mm-hmm. still fascinating to you. I mean, I, why this was one of my favorite films as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Not. Um, and don't judge my parents. I turned out fine. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it was one of my favorites. I loved the, the whole story of, um, 
the the kid Davy Lo- Davy Hogan and the the vomit you know the Barfarama mm-hmm. story. Um, yeah. I love that there's some great music in it, not just Benny King, but like lollipops in it. There's a bunch of like. Mm-hmm you know, late fifties. Yeah. It's um, a lot of period music in it. Yeah. yeah. Which I really liked. Um, and the fact, you know, they just had a radio and they would just talk. I mean, I just, yeah, I really liked it as, as a kid, but I definitely mm. think it's, it, it's one of those that even though it's very dated, it, it still maintains its integrity as a film and it holds up and it's, um, it's really well done. And I, I think Rob Reiner said that he thought this was, the most important film that he ever made, which mm-hmm. is pretty a pretty big deal because he's done. I mean, gosh, we've covered three of a three or a two or three of his other films um, that might have been more popular and definitely um, more cheerful. <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> but, definitely more cheerful for sure. And you mentioned that it's popular, and this movie is really popular. Um, a lot of you mentioned it kind of at the top of the show that it's always on the list of like top films from the eighties. It's in a lot of people's just you know, kind of favorite uh, movies for themselves. And I think a big reason for that, so this came out in 1986. Um, so, you know, in 1986, you know, people that were our age now who would have watched this would have been about the same age as these boys when they were watching it. So it would have been like kind of this nostalgia drive for people, you know, our, our age watching this originally in the movie theater. And then a lot of people like you grew up watching it probably with your parents. So then it kind of just, you know, kickstarted this kind of nostalgia thing over with, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to have a group of um, young actors, you know, kind of playing these parts that are, so like emotionally complex and I think that that's interesting and that plays a lot to you know a lot of people can kind of self-identify as you know one of these characters that they see on screen or you know remember some of these uh, same traumas and same adventures and same you know along to their parents and staying out overnight and stuff like that so yeah um, now, as far as me seeing it, I don't. I would not have seen it because it's uh, rated R, and I did. I did not have quite the leniency on seeing that. Um, I probably caught bits and pieces of it. I remember particularly seeing like the leech scene at some point. My brother was older than me, so I remember seeing uh, that before. You know, I'd seen the the rest of the film. But yeah, like you said, it, it holds up really good. It's, it's you know, definitely a, a product of the 80s. You know, it, def- it feels like an 80s movie, uh, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It just you know, it kind of feels like a product of its time, but it definitely uh, holds up and has uh, a lot of good lessons. And it's kind of, yeah, it's just kind of like a, a top-down view of what it's like to, to grow up. And, um, you know, like Richard Dreyfuss mentions, you know, the friendships you have when you're 12, you know, a lot of times are the uh, best friendships that you have, or they feel like the most important. And they definitely feel like the most important thing in the whole world when you're 12, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of my experience with this one. So uh, anyone out there listening, let us know what you think about Stand By Me, if it's something you grew up watching, or if it's something you've never watched, you know, which character is your favorite, or uh, which scene is your favorite, you know, if you hold this in high esteem, definitely let us know, and if you make a Stand By Me, uh, let us know that too, because we want to see pictures of it, because it's pink, so Michaela is a big fan, and we definitely (laughs) need to get, we need to get all of the pictures of those, and you can do that on our 
Instagram and Twitter. It's at drinkthemovies and on facebook.com slash drinkthemovies. You can find the recipe for the Stand By Me and our pictures of the drink, uh, episode recaps, all that good stuff on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And uh, we would appreciate it if you would, after you go do all of that stuff, if you want to swing by and leave us a review, we'd appreciate that. So Michaela, where should they go do that? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. If you listen, we'd love it if you subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review because it really helps us get the Drink the Movie stuff out there. So, Brian, which was your favorite character of this film? Uh, Probably, probably, I don't know. I I think I probably am... uh, most like uh it's a toss-up chris and gordy i think because i'm i'm uh my temperament is uh very serious i i don't like a lot of nonsense and tomfoolery um and chris was uh, even though they were all the same age chris was a uh, he was a little you know taller physically so he kind of acted like as almost like the big brother like mentor of the group mm-hmm. uh so so i think chris uh what about you yeah, I, I, for me, it was definitely Chris. Um, this was my first time ever seeing River Phoenix. And I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but River Phoenix, um, he actually passed away on my birthday or very near my birthday oh. when I was when I was 12, um, which is a very impressionable age. And so, um, yeah, I, I would like write to his spirit in my diary through high school. Like oh. I really loved River Phoenix. And this was the first film that I ever saw him in. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize it was him until uh, much later. Cause again, I saw this probably when I was seven, but um, I think you're right. I think Chris's character be- had just a bunch of extra layers in it and all the other characters are great. But he really stood out. The acting really stood out in that one um, because it it did have so many dimensions and nuances in it. Um, and you know, he looks out for everyone. It ends up being his detriment. You know, it ends up you know caught you know uh, doing him a disservice in the end. But um, you know, if I if I had to be if I had to choose one of the characters to be, I definitely think I would have chosen him because he he's the one who helps everybody try and be the best version of them yep yeah agreed for sure all right well uh michaela i am out of my stand by me and it is hot outside and i definitely need another one if i'm going to go 30 miles down the railroad tracks today yeah but can we like not do the leech filled pool Could we skip that this time around? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. (laughs) For sure. We we are going to go make up our cocktail and we are going to avoid leech-filled ponds, swamps. And uh, we'll talk to everyone next time on Drink Drink the the movies. Movies.